Welcome everybody to Wonder Queer Episode 7. We're so glad to have you here with us. Hi everybody. Welcome to Episode 7. Wow, we made it here. We made it here to Wonder Queer Number 7. Just a little circle to get us started. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. We have Jasper Joy. Jasper Joy is a trans queer tarot reader and witch. They chose the name Queer Conjure because they believe queerness is inherently magical and powerful enough to conjure a more equitable world. Jasper lives on unceded Cherokee land, commonly known as North Carolina. And they will be sharing their story with us. Welcome, Jasper. Hi. I am the founder of a project called Queer Conjure, and I am a tarot reader. Contrary to my career choice, I am a huge skeptic when it comes to anything that has to do with psychics or ghosts or oracles. So I pretty much feel silly and vulnerable when I share this story, but I'm going to do it anyway. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was living in Denver, Colorado with my mama. And I was very lucky because my mama was such a magical, big hearted, bisexual woman. Albeit, she's incredibly unstable at times, but when life was good, it was really, really good. And we lived in this 100-year-old Victorian-style house where everything was purple, especially the exterior, which caused some problems with the neighbors when they decided to start an HOA, but anyway. I had lots of friends and went to a charter school where I could focus on writing poetry, and I had lots of, like, badass capital because my mama wrote a Harley Davidson. Um, I'll get back to that in a minute. I also got to spend a lot of time around these really wonderful gay adults who were just starting to get their lives back together from losing so much during the AIDS crisis of the late 80s. And these grown-ups were all really into astrology and crystals and tarot and fairies and meditation. Um, I basically felt like all the grown-ups in the world were queer witches, which is, you know, a pretty awesome form of naivety. (laughs) At some point, my mama started seeing a clairvoyant regularly. I don't actually remember her name, so I'll just call her Diana. Diana must have really been filling a need for my mama because she kept going and she was just eating it all up. She'd go there and hand over a necklace that she wore all the time, and Diana would take the necklace, close her eyes, say some sort of a prayer, then just start talking about my mama's business and relationships and visions of the future, until one day she said that my mama was going to die within a year. So my mama came home early and told me this, and I was like, okay, obviously clairvoyance are bullshit, but you're immortal, and I, you always guilt trip me about how I will have to take care of you when you're old, so there's no way you're going to die in a year. It's just not going to happen. Now, my mama, she had a habit of preparing for the end of the world. <laughs> um, for example, she was one of those people who stuffed their basement full of canned goods and cash and weapons <laughs> and propane generators because of the Y2K panic and hype. 
So when Diana said she was going to die in a year, my mama started getting all of her affairs in order, and I was like, whatever, I'm just going to be over here, and I'm going to act like a snotty teenager, because this is all ridiculous. So December of 1999 came and went, and January of 2000 came and went, without any major chaos caused by computers that couldn't count. And eventually winter turned into spring, and I thought that if my mama was embarrassed enough about the Y2K horde that we still had in our basement, maybe she'd give up on preparing for her death. But she didn't. Um, and then this really weird thing happened. I started to have migraines and these really vivid recurring dreams. And in one of the dreams, I was caught in a muddy pit. And I would dig my fingers into the ground, trying with all my might to climb up to safety. But the mud would just make me slip more. Um, in another dream, I was standing in my house and the phone would ring, and when I would answer it, a voice would say, You're not paying attention. You never pay attention. And then I would start sinking into the floor. All of these dreams were about me being sucked underground, and I'd be filled with this terrifying panic where I couldn't even breathe enough to scream. And then suddenly there was another me standing over the terrified me, and it'd be like, wake up, this is too scary, wake up now. Um, so I would, I'd wake up, and I'd be so relieved and weirded out that there was another me in my subconscious who seemed to be more aware than I was. When I told my mama about these dreams, she was like, oh yeah, it's because part of you is standing on the bridge of the fourth dimension and blah blah blah. <laughs> um, so she kept talking about this fourth dimension and I thought just she was having mental illness issues. Um, but she even had like custom jewelry made to represent this bridge to the fourth dimension. Um, so I mentioned earlier that my mama had a motorcycle and it was a bright red Harley Davidson Road King. She had several biker buddies and they were all excited about the Sturgis bike rally. My mama decided that that year, since I had my license, I would drive the minivan full of her stuff to the rally, and she would ride her bike to the rally. For, for several days during the summer that I was 17, I was in South Dakota learning just how racist the biker community can be and how many protective biker dad figures I had, because I got into zero trouble there, um, even though I could have, but I still had a lot of fun. When time came to head back home, my mama had me head back home ahead of her because she was going to stay for an NA meeting. And we got into this like little fight, so we didn't hug or say goodbye or anything, and I just drove the seven hours back home. As soon as I got back to Denver, my cell phone started ringing, and people were asking if I was okay, and if I'd had any news, and some people were crying, and I was super confused. But after a few calls of no one telling me anything, one of my gay aunties called and told me to pull over, and then she told me that my mama was dead, that she had been riding her motorcycle too fast around a sharp bend, had crashed into the side of a mountain, broke her neck, and died. 
And that is where the story gets really sad and complicated, as I'm sure you can imagine. I actually went to Diana's house, the clairvoyant, a couple of times, and I got readings from her about what I should do. And she seemed to have this really generous sense of um, compassion towards me. And she didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear, and I almost never took her advice, but she did tell me that it would take me a very long time to grow up, that I would have three formative but traumatizing relationships, and that eventually, once I had finally figured out and managed to grow up, that definitely came true. I had three toxic and controlling relationships. Two were with romantic partners, one was with a mentor, and it's only now when I'm about to turn 38 that I feel like I have a true sense of who I am and what I'm capable of. And I also speak to that other part of me that seems to be on that bridge and I'm able to tap into what I call the interconnected wisdom, which is why I chose to be a tarot reader. So, um, yeah, I have a beautiful kid, I have a sweetheart, and, you know, this might have been all a huge coincidence, but it is just, like, too amazing and too wonderful to chalk up to coincidence and serendipity. So that's the end of my story. So again, thank you so much, Jasper. It was such a moving story. And thank you for being so vulnerable and telling it because um, it's, uh, it's a life changer. And, um, you know, the, one of the things that just really struck me was that the clairvoyant would be so explicit. Um, and it's sort of shocking to, that she would uh, so specifically say that to your mom. And I'm wondering about, you know, do you think that that's about the time, perhaps, you know, the time as in the time in the culture or, um, you know, just what is your feeling that she was so explicit? So now that I do divination as a living, I give my clients this disclaimer of like, I don't believe in telling you that you're going to meet this dark, handsome lover in the fall because there's really no way I can know that because the, like, our lives deviate from what might have been with, like, every time we decide to walk a different way to work or whatever. So it's really hard to imagine why somebody would say that to my mom. Um, that being said, sometimes when I am doing a reading something comes out of my mouth and I'm just like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, and usually when that happens, it's like, why did I say that? Why was it? Th I wasn't even thinking like that just fell out of my mouth. And that might have something to do with like being a conduit and, you know, getting in that psychic zone and things just happen. Where are you with um, what you think about clairvoyance now? Your your thoughts and feelings about about that today? Yeah, honestly, I think most of them are BS. 
Um, I think that a lot of it is like entertainment value and a lot of it is like giving people exactly what they want to hear to have something to be hopeful for or hold on to. Um, that being said, like I've had these experiences in my life with very magical people and, um, you know, things get really serendipitous sometimes. That makes me think about that. That makes me think about the idea of that you talked about, which I found really uh, interesting, this idea of the bridge um, into the fourth dimension. Um, and this idea that, you know, that, um, which I've heard people talk about it is that, you know, it's the way that the, there is mm -hmm. a bridge that moves us from kind of this plane into a, another plane. Um, and that where we can access things that are sort of beyond and that, you know, it kind of go really goes with our theme, like magic and awe and mystery. Yeah. And I'm just curious about what your impressions of that imagery, that bridge and how it maybe shows up in your life. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite authors is named Starhawk and she's this really older, rad, queer witch, um, and her definition of magic is being able to change consciousness at will. And I think that's exactly what she's talking about, is being able to go from the third dimension, where everything has this third dimensional shape, to all of a sudden um, your scope gets wider and there are shapes that are indescribable and you are able to harness um, and see you know, past that bridge. Um, so it's interesting. I think that a lot of different cultures have different ways of saying it. Um, and again, like when my mom started talking about it, I was like, all right, like, I'm used to you being weird. This is just another weird thing you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that she was really trying to tell me that I was having these important lucid dreams they weren't just scary and she's trying to describe that to me and in your work now do you is, is that would that be a way that you would talk about your work now is it like a passing over a bridge or would it show up as a motif mm, that's a good question i think that most of my work is actually more pragmatic than i'd like to admit <laughs> um so what I am most interested in right now is community care. And I feel like offering people spells and tarot readings is a way to show up for them and offer them care in a more accessible way than, you know, um, than this capital capitalistic world might provide. Um, so in that way, it's pragmatic, but there's got to be something there because there are other ways to care for people than send them crystals in the mail and tell them what certain tarot cards mean. Um, yeah, it's just something that I can't stop doing. <laughs> so whether I believe it in it or not, I just can't stop doing it. <laughs> it's a very deep calling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can relate a lot to that because of doing Reiki and people say, I've heard like, well, you don't look like a Reiki practitioner. And I'm like, 
really? What do they look like? Because apparently <laughs> I do look like one. I love that, though. It's a lot like, you don't look gay. Or, you know, like, I, <laughs> I don't believe in gays. It's like, well, here I am, buddy. <laughs> I don't know if you all have seen Angels in America, but there's um that mm. that scene where Mary Louise Parker and Justin Kirk are in this dream. It's her hallucination in his dream. And he says he's a homosexual, and she says, oh, in my church, we don't believe in homosexuals. And he says, well, in my church, we don't believe in Mormons. <laughs> and she's like, really? What churches? <laughs> and then she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's sort of like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's exactly okay. like that. Yeah, go ahead. Don't believe. Not going to change anything, <laughs> really, you know? Okay. Well, and it's often funny how people do love to to tell you, you know, if this is your chosen path in life, people love to tell you that they don't believe in what you're doing. It's like, am I the right person to be telling that to? Maybe you should tell Mm -hmm. someone else that's not like, you know, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but why why would you think I'm the the outlet for this? Like, go on Reddit or something. (laughs) You know? That's what Reddit is for. Yeah. It makes me think about like being being in the bathroom and then mm. I would always just like, you know, I'd be in a bathroom and then um, people would be like staring at me real hardcore and I would be like, and I would often say, you can't stare my gender to be it differently. Like no matter how much you stare and growl at me, I'm in here mm-hmm. taking a piss. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. I love scaring people in the bathroom just by existing, not even going boo, you know? <laughs> well, I would love to ask about these, the dreams that you were having, the very lucid dreams. These were such, the way you describe them, I mean, even just to hear them, they were so powerful. So to be within them, I think that I'm sure was very haunting. And you talked about the, learning that there's this subconscious you that's more aware than the you having the dream do you have do you have have your thoughts about those dreams changed are they different now i still have really vivid dreams um i'm a really active dreamer and um Honestly, I think it's because when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I thought I was going to marry Raphael one day because I already had a bad boy (laughs) issue. Um, I would be laying in bed and I would be like, I'm going to dream about marrying Raphael tonight. And I would be so focused. And I didn't know what I was doing because I was a kid, but I would be like invoking that into my subconscious and like and a lot of times it worked because that's how brains work um so i think i accidentally taught myself how to lucid dream as a kid and then it just like unknowingly progressed from there so yeah i have this um I figure out a lot in my sleep and I have fe- I have these dreams that feel really prof- prophetic, prophecy mm. it, <laughs> however you say that word. Um, but do you want to marry Raphael 
You are supposed to be in bed. I don't want to marry Raphael now. I used to when I was a kid. You've been outed. Yeah. <laughs> My kid is very excited <laughs> that I was going to marry Raphael. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm not a big dream interpreter and it's just like a big part of my process is like, I have this whole other lucid dreaming world. Um, so that like sinking into the floor feeling or that, um, like trying to climb Mm. up a muddy hill. That was basically like the next three years of my life after my mom died. And that it's so, it was so, um, poignant. Um, the part of the dream which said where the, the phone was ringing Mm. and said, you're Mm -hmm. not paying attention. Did that linger for you in any way that those particular words after the event of her death? Yeah. Um, that's such a good question. So that actually became a reoccurring dream for me. Um, and what would happen was the phone would ring and that voice would actually be my mom's voice. And she'd be like, Mm. what are you doing? (laughs) Um, you know, like, don't sell my house, don't sell my stuff. And I'm like, but mama, I'm broke. Like, I'm 16. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, um, or 17, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, it felt like um, that was just like the preview of things to come. Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Like the communication, mm-hmm. how, how she would talk to you after yeah. she was gone yeah. from this part this place. Yeah. Amazing. You know, something that occurs to me in talking about this, I lost my dad. I was older. I was 27, um, right before my Mm. Saturn's return. But what I've found, and it's been in a way a relief, um, that losing, losing a parent, the, the relationship the healing of the relationship doesn't have to end through death. Mm-hmm. Like there's still more so that hearing you talk about like having the dreams and then it was your mom's voice, mm-hmm. like these ways that we kind of are still connected and still, I I want to believe learning from each other, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting because in I think it's common to think death is the end and that's why it's so sad and that's why as a culture we just you know we have a really hard time dealing with that even though we've known that that would happen the whole time we we all know this but I like these spaces where and and I really feel like he's probably a lot more open my dad is probably mm-hmm. a lot more open to 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 being with me in mm. the the way that the the form that he's in now than I am you know I'm like I don't want to hear your voice that's going to freak me out you know like I have the I have the boundaries not him mm-hmm. but still there are are ways that I would like to think we are still learning from each other yeah definitely um yeah I have this weird feeling every once in a while when I catch my my like 
reflection in my peripheral vision because I actually look a lot like my mother, just like someone who's been on testosterone for a while, but my mom. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, and then I'll be talking to my child and things will come out of my mouth and I'm like, that was my mama talking. That was not me. <laughs> like, I know that people who even have parents that are alive have something similar, but like, yeah, I definitely sometimes I'm like, uh-uh, mama is trying to like take over right now and like, I want to live my own life. <laughs> well, do you think that these experiences with the, with Diana and with the, your um queer aunties and all the like all the queer witchy people that were in your life do you think that those experiences had to do with what you're doing now like did they have like a foundational push from going from oh this is bullshit to now you're now you're a queer tarot reader I mean yeah yeah, definitely. Um, I consider myself very lucky to have like a magical queer foundation. Um, a lot of those people stayed in my life um, till I was about 19 and I ran away from Denver, Colorado and came to Asheville, North Carolina. Um, but I think that it was just like the vocabulary I had to talk about my feelings and what I wanted in the world and like what I thought might be the right decision because that's how I had heard the grown-ups I trusted talk. Um, mm. But yeah, I do want to also say that like the experience with Diana the Clairvoyant um I think that it's so easy to be impressed and influenced when you are a teenager and then to like be a motherless teenager. So yeah, I ended up falling for a lot of tricks and a lot of cons and that's where my, um, I really like the word discernment actually, where my, dis my discernment started to grow. Mm. Um, that's why even though I'm a tarot reader, if I meet someone that's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally psychic, I'm like, eh. Well, it's sort of like how I say, if you're really wild, you don't have to wear animal print. I mean, but yeah. it, truthfully, I usually say that's someone who's wearing animal print, so it's not very nice. I totally should have worn my fuzzy <laughs> cheetah print robe to this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, that is the that is the dress code. Newly established. Well, it's been really wonderful to have you on the show. Thank Jasper. you. Thank you so much for your insights and for your authenticity and clarity. It's um, been really, really sweet to talk with you and to hear the way you're roaming around in the world. Uh, so, yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate both of you so much. You're, I'm so glad you're doing this work and you're both just gems of human beings. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad for the work that you're doing and, and I love your ethics behind it all and, and the care for our community. So thank you for doing that. And until next time, keep swimming in the wonder. Keep cheering the queer. Bye. Bye.